This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pado. Today I'll be doing a review of A Quiet Place Part 2, the highly anticipated sequel to A Quiet Place, a film that I was quite fond of when it came out in 2018, and I guess A Quiet Place Part 2 was postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and a bit of that anticipation for the sequel did wane a little, and I think that's just because, I mean, it's been so long since that initial trailer came out back in 2019, which seems forever ago. So it is one of those effects, I guess, where it's inevitable, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but a lot of the films that were meant to be released around that time um, that did eventually get delayed have had that impact on me where I were either looking forward to them and now when they're coming out, I'm like, okay, it feels like I've already seen it kind of thing because the advertisement was so frequent. Um, So I guess the anticipation for a few of those releases has, yeah, just waned on me a little. But um, I did really enjoy the first one and John Krasinski as a filmmaker has really proven himself. I thought he did a fantastic job with that first film and his on-screen chemistry with his wife, uh, Emily Blunt, was fantastic. And I think the breakout performance of that film was, of course, um, uh, Millicent Simmons, who played Regan, their daughter, and I thought she was fantastic, and she carries a lot of that uh, weight over into this film, because I think she's the standout here, which I'll get into, but I just really did enjoy the concept of the first one. It's quite simple. Essentially, don't make any sounds, so the characters all speak through sign language, which they know because Millicent Simmons' character is, of course, deaf, as the actress is in real life as well. Um, and all of that sort of carries over into their family's dynamic. And this film uh, essentially takes place directly after the events of the first film too, which I really appreciated. We jump straight back into it. And that's the purpose of having that part one, part two, and part three. There's no point calling your film a part one, part two, or part three if they don't really have that connective tissue. A big complaint of mine is those hangover movies. Now, Say what you will about them. I enjoy them as just individual films. They're fine. They're fun um, and a continuation of events. But calling them The Hangover Part 1, Part 2 and Part 3 doesn't really work. They should just be called Hangover 1, 2 and 3 because they don't have any connective tissue between each film except for the concept of them, you know, going through a hangover uh, after a big event, after being drugged by Alan in the first two. And the third one turns into a weird heist movie, which is, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, is a discussion for another time. But my complaint being with those films is I don't like the use of part one, part two, and part three, where it feels justified here because part two takes place directly after part one. And it feels like a natural continuation of that story, which I really do appreciate. So with that all said, let's just get stuck into talking about this one, shall we? So without further ado, take it away, trailer.
hell happened? A bomb, I think. So, A Quiet Place Part 2 was once again directed by John Krasinski and stars Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, Cillian Murphy, uh, Noah Dupe, and Digimon Honsu. I hope I said his name correctly. Um, and follows the um, following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. Uh, so like I said, this film does take place directly after the events of the first film. So Lee, played by John Krasinski, has, of course, passed away. Um, and now his family, uh, with a newborn, uh, now have to venture past the perimeters of their barn home uh, to try and find help and try and, I guess, maneuver around this new world where they cannot make any sound. Um, so yeah, this film was, like I said, something I was looking forward to initially, but because of the delayed release date, it did sort of fall off my radar a little. But I can happily say that this film was fantastic and one of the better cinema-going experiences I've had in recent memory. I did see this one in gold class at event cinemas, which was awesome. Um, but I did find myself to really just enjoy the film in general. Uh, it didn't even really have anything to do with the fact that I was in very comfortable seats. Um, but yeah, I actually did have a really good time with this one. I think John Krasinski as a filmmaker has definitely improved. This film feels like it's a lot more crafty. He's definitely been able to learn a lot, I think, from some of the people he's worked with. And I guess just even feedback from the first film. He focuses a lot here on wider and longer takes so we can really take in the action and everything that's going on around. Um, and I think that really benefits the actual film itself because there's so many sequences here, especially in that intro, um, which I, I guess a lot of people have seen because it was put on YouTube prior to the film's release. Um, but yeah, he, he focuses a lot on just these wide, long takes and it really does benefit uh, the audience there because we can really see what's going on around um, but yeah, essentially that opening sequence shows, I, I don't want to say the outbreak, but more the invasion of these creatures when they do enter Earth's atmosphere. And I just guess the hysteria that follows after that, it's quite fascinating to watch. And I've always liked sequences like that. I've recently mentioned uh, in 
Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. In that film, uh, we get to see, you know, the zombie outbreak and how that all affects, you know, the the way people act and just the hysteria and just the the I guess craziness of everyone. And this film focuses on that heavily in that intro, and I think it's really effective. We have some fantastic long takes of just yeah, just these monsters just hunting and it really does create a lot of tension, which is fantastic. And I think because of the strong performances on display here too, especially, like I said before, of Millicent Simmons, who I think is definitely the scene stealer here. She's acting against Emily Blunt, who I think is fantastic, and Cillian Murphy, who is fantastic here, by the way, as well. But she's acting against some real Hollywood heavyweights, and she's holding her own. She's honestly brilliant. And considering that she's talking with her hands, and just the emotion on her face rather than actually speaking with her words. I think what she's able to convey with like, I guess, a limited range of being able to convey that information because, yeah, she's not speaking. I think she does a fantastic job and I I think that she's a talent to watch. She's honestly brilliant here. And I think because of how brilliant she is, I I was just honestly shocked. I I thought that she was just fantastic and I really did enjoy her in this film. Uh, and like I said, she's just given a lot to do, and I think she does it with ease. She's honestly brilliant here. Uh, Cillian Murphy is a great uh, addition to the cast as well. He plays Emmett. Um, we gather from the introduction there that Emmett and Lee, who was played by John Krasinski, had a relationship of sorts. They were friends, um, possibly best friends, and Emmett never came to the barn to see what was going on. He never ventured past his little barrier and area that he had set up as well. Uh, and that creates a little tension between uh, Emily Blunt and him when they first meet in this film. We are under the impression that there's a little more going on behind the scenes with him, but we're never explicitly told. And I, I, I like that ambiguity. I don't really need to be told everything. And I know that some audience members do need to be you know, explained what's going on, but I'm happy to let certain things slide. I don't need that over explanation because I feel that when you get bogged down in that, you get, you know, heavily dialogue sequences with exposition that just feels unwarranted and unneeded. And I think if you're paying close enough attention, you can pick up the things that you need to know. The things we're not told aren't imperative to the story and rather create that mystery and that intrigue to really keep the viewer watching and then wanting to come back for future installments. We already have A Quiet Place Part 3 in production or in pre-production, which will be directed by Jeff Nichols with a story uh, credits to John Krasinski again, so he will still be involved. But I really do like the idea of being able to explore this world with these characters and not knowing everything because these characters don't really know what's going on either. So we're sort of in their shoes in this situation, the audience playing the part of the Abbott family just trying to explore this world. And I really did appreciate that. I think as well, like I mentioned, the the way that the film creates tension is really quite impressive. In the first film, we do have a lot of sequences where the characters are sneaking around and they're trying to get away from these monsters, which is tense in its own right. But you can only do that so many times. You do need to create tension from other ways. Uh, and this film does it really well, utilizing very similar uh, story beats to what the first film did, definitely, But and I guess techniques around using sound. But I think that this film is able to create some unique and different ways uh, of utilizing that. For instance, uh, Noah's character, um, when he 
first arrives at the new train compound. It's like a, a train station or a warehouse. Um, when he first arrives there, he steps in a bear trap and he's just in a world of pain and he's screeching. You, in, like the performance in that sequence is great too. And Emily Blunt's just pleading with him to be quiet. But the poor kid's just trot on a bear trap. So I can't even imagine what kind of pain he's in. And he's just wailing. And you're just waiting for these creatures to, you know, appear and attack. And um, after the revelation at the end of the first film, uh, Millicent Simmons, of course, has the little uh, cochlear implants and she plugs it into the amp to sort of deter these monsters and it allows Emily Blunt to get a shot away, which kills them. Um, but up until that point, you know, these moments just really do add that tension. I mean, we we know now that they have that device to really help them, but it still creates a lot of tension and we don't know exactly how many shots that Emily Blunt has and things like that. It's just like utilizing the resources of the world and and how they're utilizing it just really does keep that intrigue and that tension at a real heightened level. And I really did appreciate that. And like I mentioned, all the performances are all terrific. The storyline does progress in ways where we're trying to sort of figure out, you know, what's going on, how are they going to get from A to B, and all of these challenges that present themselves during the the film as well. It just creates that suspense during the entire runtime. And during the entire film, I just felt on the edge of my seat. And it's not something I always do feel. And I, I think that it's an overused term. And I try not to use it too much. But I just think that in this film, it's the perfect example of how you can utilize those film techniques to create something really unique and really, you know, highly... I don't even know the word, just that high tension, you know, it's just, it's really just gets under your skin. And when you're watching it, you just can't not watch it. You, your eyes are glued to the screen. Uh, and I think that's a, a testament to John Krasinski, because I think he does a really good job here of just creating that tension. And I think he does a, yeah, a really fantastic job. Um, there are some interesting plot developments as well. So we meet, um, like I said, Cillian Murphy's character, Emmett, um, and he goes off on a journey there with Regan, uh, Millicent Simmons' character. Uh, they've heard a, a sound over the radio that's, uh, you know, alluding to maybe there's an oasis over the water um, and they're trying to get themselves, you know, to find out if that's the case. If they can, they can plug in uh, Millicent's, um, you know, her cochlear implant and broadcast the signal to everyone to try and get rid of these monsters. So... They approach the marina where they run into Scoot McNary, who I didn't know was in the film until I just looked at the credits. And I was like, who did Scoot McNary play? I was like, oh, wow, he's one of the Mariner people. Um, but essentially, they run into these, uh, I don't really know what to call them, but they're people who have obviously haven't handled uh, this whole situation as well as what the Abbott family have. Uh, and they've turned into savages of sorts. And they're living around the docks at the marina area. And um, I guess um, our two characters, Emmett and Regan, are trying to get themselves across uh, to this oasis that they're promised. Uh, and they run into a confrontation with these mariner people. And I thought that was interesting. And I, I like the idea that, you know, there's these different factions now of society that have broken off, which we've seen billions of times before, especially in zombie-related material like The Walking Dead. But... I think that here it was really unique and it's something interesting to add to this world because we don't know a great deal of what 
this world looks like now. We've only seen a very narrowed um, version of this with the Abbott family. We haven't really seen, you know, how it's affected Australia or how it's affected different parts of America. So I found that to be really interesting and I liked that addition. It's only very minute, but it's something that I think makes the world feel a little different, uh, which is good because, I mean, if you had this sort of event take place, I, I, I think it's really interesting to see you know, how it would affect these people and how, you know, they would react to situations like this. Would these factions form? What would happen sort of thing? And I think that's really interesting. And I, I appreciate the thought that went into actually creating that um, aspect of the film. And I think that goes to Krasinski's writing credit as well. I think that he did a really good job at really, you know, just um, establishing a, a strong sense of, of community and character here. And I think that's really important, especially in a post-apocalyptic world. Um, the confusion around what these creatures are and, you know, their level of sound still exists. I don't really understand, you know, exactly what sets them off. Yes, we're explained a little here and there. For instance, water seems to be a bit of a big one. Uh, water seems to deter them a little because they don't like it for starters, but the sound of water seems to have an impact on their hearing. Um, but it's not really explained. So that's still a little confused, a bit of confusing and confused. But one thing I don't really get is just, yeah, is what their, their point of being here is. It hasn't been explained to us and I don't need to be over-explained. Like I said, I'm happy with that ambiguity because it keeps me interested. But I think rules established of what these creatures can do maybe might be um, helpful to try and understand exactly, you know, how they're defeated and, and that sort of thing. I, I just needed a little more information in that regard, and I'm sure a few audience members feel the same. Um, I, I'm happy with the ambiguity around their origins. I don't need an origin story as to where these creatures came from, nothing like that. Maybe just a little more around their um, biological makeup, maybe, just so I can understand exactly what makes them tick. Um, and yeah, maybe just so I can understand their level of hearing and that sort of thing, because it, it does seem to fluctuate during the during the film, and I don't know if that's you know more of a filmmaking criticism. Maybe John Krasinski doesn't even know, and he's sort of flirting with the idea. Not entirely sure, but I think maybe a little explanation around that, just so you had more of a solid framework for those rules, that would really help me as an audience member, and I'm sure other people would feel the same too. Um, and. I think maybe just a little more um, time with Emily Blunt's character too. Um, I can't imagine what she's going through as a mother, you know, having lost her husband, just giving birth to a new child. I would have liked to have seen a little more with her. We don't spend a lot of time with her. The film does something interesting by splitting up our characters. So Evelyn's on her own journey to go and get some more oxygen tanks for the baby. They have this little box to put the baby in. So if it's crying, you can't hear it outside the box. Smart idea, clever, but you can only have so many oxygen tanks. And coming from a small town in Massachusetts, I think they're from, I don't think that's going to be a very sustainable plan. Um, but I would like to have seen a little more maybe internal monologue or something, just a bit more time with her character. Uh, there's a moment, a great moment, where she's giving off her wedding ring to the graveside of her child from the first film that passed away. Um, but that's really the only character depth we get with her, unfortunately. Now, you can make the argument that the focus here is more on the relationship between her daughter, Regan, and Emmett, Celia Murphy's character. 
But at the same time, we spent a whole film with Evelyn, so I would have liked to have seen a little more there. Yes, she did get her growth at the end of the film by wielding that shotgun and, of course, killing one of the monsters, but I would have liked to have seen a little more with her in this film. I think it would have really just established her as a stronger presence. And because of what's happened, I would have liked to have had that emotional connect with her during this film. The film, like I said, splits them off. So we have Evelyn going on her journey, uh, Regan and Emmett are trying to find this oasis beyond the water, and Marcus, Noah Jupe's character, is left minding the child. Each scene is cut um, between all three sequences. So essentially we'll start with uh, Marcus, then we'll go to Evelyn, then we'll go to Emmett and Regan, then back to Marcus, and it sort of follows that... Um, that formula there for the majority of the first and second act and even parts of the third. But I, what I found to be a bit of a disconnect is that they all seem to be going through tension filled moments during the, those sequences. But because not all three of them are at the same level, it doesn't feel like it really connects and feels appropriate. So when we have sequences, you know, like, um, Marcus's character, for instance, comes across the dead body of Emmett's wife, who's in a hospital bed, and he sort of falls over a bucket and attracts one of the monsters. That whole sequence is really tense, and and I really like that. Then we cut to Emmett and Regan, who are on the mariner, oh, the marine, um, I don't know what you call it, the docks, we'll call it the docks. Um, they're at the docks, and uh, they've been confronted by these savages, and they're trying to come up with a plan to escape. That's also very heightened. But then we cut to Evelyn, who's just picking up a, a gas tank, and it doesn't feel like it's nearly as, I guess, tense as those other two moments. Yes, that part is very important because uh, Noah, uh, Noah Dupe's character, I keep calling him Noah, Marcus, and the baby have locked themselves into this uh, container where they run out of oxygen after a certain number of time. Uh, the towel that normally keeps it propped open has fallen off, so they're trapped inside this container and they're running out of oxygen because they've just got that little tank that they're using for the baby. So we have that moment, which is really tense as well, but just juggling between the three of them, they just don't seem to be on the same level at the same time, so it doesn't really feel like it flows as well as what I think John Krasinski was going for, which is a little bit of a shame because it is a really effective way of telling these three stories, but... You need to have them at the same level of tension during all three moments so that the audience feels that because I'll go from Marcus's character to thinking, oh, okay, no, not really. Okay, now we're back on with Regan and and uh, now we go back to Evelyn. You know, it just doesn't feel like it really flows very well. So that was a bit of an irritation for me. But I think overall the film does a relatively good job of balancing the acts between these characters, which I think was really effective. Uh, the use of sound as well, again, here is fantastic um, uh, with a film with the title and the gimmick being A Quiet Place. I thought that they did a really good job at utilizing that sound again, which was really clever and really effective. It just worked for me. Um, the sequences where the sound has been drained and we're focusing on Regan, who can't, of course, hear. And then we'll go back to John Krasinski in that opening sequence, for instance, and we can hear it all through him and then we'll cut back to Regan and we can't hear anything. We're just seeing what she's seeing sort of thing. And I thought that was really well done and I really liked that. But overall, guys, I thought A Quiet Place Part 2 was very effective and very well done. Uh, it's one of the best uh, films, I think, of this year so far. And definitely a film that's worth seeing on the big screen. I thought that it was 
very effective and I thought that it was very well done. Um, and I think John Krasinski is a really talented filmmaker and I can't wait to see what else he does. Uh, so I'm going to give this one a big 7.5 out of 10. Doesn't really get there all the way to like an 8 or a 9, um, but I think that upon repeat viewing, I might like it a little more because I'll have more time to really take it in of what's going on. But I, I really did enjoy this one, guys. And I think if you're a fan of the first film, then you're definitely going to like this one. And yeah, if you haven't seen the first film, then why are you listening to the review of the second one? Go back, watch the first, watch the second, and then come back to my review. Uh, but that brings this review to a close, guys. So thank you all for listening. Make sure you check out my other reviews. I've popped out a lot as of recent, and I've really enjoyed just being able to catch up on some of these major releases, guys. It's great to be back in a cinema too, really enjoying my time there. Um, and make sure, yeah, you go to Kicks, who are the sponsor of this episode, and pre-order your copy of A Quiet Place Part 2 on 4K, Blu-ray, or DVD. Uh, use the code OZGEEK15. That's OZGEEK15 to uh, get 15% off your order, which is really cool. So thank you to the team at Kicks, and go down below to pre-order your copy today, guys. Um, and yeah, make sure you review and share the podcast if you haven't already. I really appreciate your support, um, and yeah, hoping to have more reviews out to you guys very shortly as well. So... Until next time, guys, peace out.